0: Good morning. Today we're going to be reading 1 Corinthians 13 and 14. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing." When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love.
1: Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as the pipe or harp, How will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you are saying? <clears throat> you are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God and I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. (coughs) Sorry. Tongues then are a sign. Not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in the tongue, two or at most three should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter... The speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask about their husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, They will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way.
2: Hi, everybody. How's it going? Can you hear me? All right. Uh, We have a smaller crowd here today because all of our students have hightailed at home or a lot of them have at least. Some of them are still around. Uh, but that's why we have a little bit of a, of a smaller crowd today. Uh, but man, I, uh, I was thinking about, <clears throat> as I kind of looked around this morning, um, about not being here every single week, uh, not least of, uh, of which my kids not being here every single week is going to be really sad to them because uh, they always want to see stinky Uncle Brad, which is what they, uh, they call him. He prefers that, by the way. Um, <laughs> And if my kids joke with potty humor, that is also because of Brad. Uh, so I want to apologize uh, for that as well. My, my brother teaches my kids all kinds of things. I would have him not. Um, <clears throat> uh, but you know, such is the, the role of an uncle, I guess. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to, to get to preach today. You know, Leslie and Josh wanted to milk every last dollar out of me, I guess. And so they were like, hey, on your last Sunday, you gotta preach. I was like cool man like I guess I guess that's fine like I can do that um, but yeah you guys know that I'll be going to Garland uh, which is not China uh, and so I still will be around I'm sure I'll even visit this church with regularity maybe even speak occasionally that kind of stuff uh, and we are still roughly 30 minutes apart uh, so I bet you it's not the end for us in our relationships. Um, uh, I don't know, I don't see Garvin, but Garvin, uh, won't, like a couple of weeks ago, he's sick, a couple of weeks ago was like, so you're just leaving, huh? And I was like, well not really, man, like, I mean, I guess, like, I'm not, I'm not going to be on staff anymore, I'm like, but, like, you still live in Addison, which is, like, right next to me, so, like, we can still keep doing dinners and stuff like that, he's like, okay, 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 so, um, I want to encourage you guys to still treat me as if I'm a part of our church, uh, because I am, you know, we are a, a family of churches, and so, um, hopefully, uh, not too far, too far gone, um, you know, I wanted to. I, I get I get First Corinthians 13 and 14, which is a, a pretty tall order. Um, you know, you rarely hear First Corinthians 13 preached on outside of weddings, because um, everyone knows it's a wedding verse. Everybody knows what Paul was doing here in the midst of speaking to a church about church dynamic and stuff like that. It was like, let me pause and talk about the relationship only between a a, a, a marriage. Real quick. And then back to business with all the giftings and speaking tongues. I'm being facetious, of course. I don't think it is about marriage. I do think it's applicable to marriage. But get this. The fact that we think it's so applicable to marriage and so not very applicable to the church says everything we need to know about this. We're like, love your spouse like that. Not love the person sitting next to you like that. That maybe perhaps not your spouse. Okay. Uh, And that's pretty problematic because uh, I, I think we sometimes get into this mode that we should love our spouse more or better than the people around us. But Jesus makes it pretty clear. Every person that you see, Jesus takes personally the way that you treat them, so much so that he says, whatever you did for anyone, you did for me. Whatever you didn't do for anyone, you didn't do for me. Every person you come across may as well... For your sake, be Jesus himself. Think about that. Have you seen that commercial with that dude who's like uh, on his phone? And he like, th- there's like a guy on crutches. And he like passes him by and doesn't leave it, like closes the door behind him. And then he's sitting on a park bench next to these two, like this little, this couple. And he's like laughing. <laughs> he's got that person that plays the speakerphone or the video is really loud in a restaurant. One of my biggest pet peeves. If you're that person, by the way, I want you to know, like, I forgive you. <laughs> all right just like for my sake um and then you know he's like he's just kind of a jerk the, the the it's I think it's like a Volkswagen commercial and it's like portraying him as a jerk and uh it's because this Volkswagen's about to hit this guy that's out of because he's just walking along like ignoring traffic laws and uh the car automatically stops and it's like "Ha!" Yeah, it, it's it does this even for those people
0: <laughs>
2: that was the, that's like the whole thing right that's all commercial I'm like that's pretty ingenious right Like, it stops even for doofuses, you know, like that, that nobody likes. Well, there is no such thing as a person on this planet who Jesus does not apply that very law and rule to. The worst of people, he says, you treat them like they are Jesus. Uh, And that's kind of at the heart of this whole uh, section in Corinthians. I understand the drive uh, to deal with culture's uh, the cultures and the world's problems. I really do. I'm not against it, and and oftentimes when people actually come and speak to me about a sermon, because they'll be like, "You only talked about this thing, and you didn't really talk about this." And I'm like, "Yes." Every time I get up, I don't espouse my entire theology on something. I don't like say, "Oh yeah, let me, do, let, me let me teach on this one issue, but let me go ahead and counterpoint everything." With some sort of uh, balanced, you know, thought process on something, I would love if I—I I would love to if I had time. But a lot of times we need to let a specific verse uh, pull tension out of the line, so to speak, pull the tension into the line rather on a lot of different things. And this is one of those verses that we can allow to do that. I'm um, hopefully just allowing the word to speak what it's speaking into. That argument of well, you're really only bringing up one dimension of it. I can understand why people think that, but my response to it is, yes, but what if we just look a little bit closer at that dimension, unless you feel like you completely understand it? Because good preachers, hopefully, aren't just speaking generalities to a church. They're speaking into what they perceive as the specific needs of that church. This church leans a certain way The Garland Church leans a certain way. Every church leans a certain way, and that way is not in the way of Christ. And we've got to preach to those things. And yes, some of us that aren't leaning that way might be like, well, what about this? Or I felt you did this. I understand that. This is an excellent opportunity to. It's easy whenever whenever things like what happened this last week happen, it's easy to make those things the focal point. But guys, 25,000 children will die today of poverty. According to UNICEF, 25,000 children will die of poverty, preventable poverty, nameless, faceless to the world. There is so much pain in this world. You can focus on these different things. And if God calls you to do something specific on those things, you ought to listen to the Spirit's call on this. But we've all been called to change the world by loving the way Christ loves. Loving the way Christ loves. The world can't accept that that's a way to change the world because it's too small. It's also too religious. It's not big enough. It doesn't focus on the big picture. As if us loving these people that come into our campus ministries who have suicidal ideations and they have sociopathic tendencies as if just loving those people and welcoming them into community might prevent who knows how many school shootings. No, that it does, and it can. You loving someone, you getting involved in someone's life, you showing someone Jesus can change the world, generationally, but also in the present. And we're called to that. Our generation is one that has the burdens of the world on its shoulders. Because of news, because of our access to information, we carry such a large burden. Jesus doesn't say, you shouldn't care about all those things. That's a misnomer whenever this happens. Because whenever I start talking to people about like, hey, this is the way we change the world. We love people the way that Jesus loved them. We love the people around us. And we try to include more and more people in that sphere of influence to love them the way that Jesus does. They act as if that is not the way that you change the world. And I say, well, then what did Jesus show you? What did he do? Was the world a worse place? Is the world a worse place now than it was in Jesus' time? The answer to that question, by the way, is no. <laughs> the world was just as bad or worse in the first century. Yeah. Okay? Just as bad or worse. How did Jesus change it? When you hear the message today, let the word do its work. You don't need to question whether I have it together or not. I don't. We can, we can, we can uh, leave that where it is. Question yourself against the word today, not me against you. Judge me all you want to. It's not going to help you get closer to Jesus. Judge for yourself whether you are living in obedience to the word. I don't even know how we can read 1 Corinthians 13 at weddings and feel good about it. I read 1 Corinthians 13, and I feel stabbed. I feel stabbed straight in the heart because I'm like, hmm, I'm looking for one of these things that I feel like I do consistently. I'm looking for, just give me one that I can kind of plant my flag and be like, I'm patient. No, that's not it. I'm kind of a bad person. (laughs) I'm, uh, thank you, I don't know. I think it's a dad joke. I didn't plan on that one, but all right. Um, I can't, when I look at this, I feel so convicted. Because my love is just so little. My love is just little. That's why I need to describe it. And again, this didn't lend itself to these, you know, points. I don't have a lot of points. I have questions and thoughts about this scripture, and I'll just share them with you. And the first question that I ask whenever I look at this is just, what does my love look like? What does my love look like? And I want you guys to reflect on this question. What does your love look like? So what if I'm smart? So what, I'm not saying I am, I'm saying like the proverbial, I'm. So what if we're smart? So what if I know what's happening in the world? So what if I have the right ideas, the right takes, the right optics? What's my love look like? What does my love look like? Jesus has not called you to solve the world's problems. He's called you to love the way he loves. If you have all the answers to all these different things, and you've signaled all the right things to all the problems in the world, the question still remains, what does your love look like? To the people around you, the kind of love the Bible always speaks about is a love that's anchored in action and not only emotion. Think of a, of a silent film of us watching your life this last week. We watched a silent film. How much love would we see in action? Or did you just feel things? Do you think that you are that you get somehow exonerated by the, the, the feelings that you have about anything? The question is, what did it look like? That was always the question. Even the word that's used there, even the agape word that's used there it is, it is not even close to rooted in emotion. It's just, it's antithetical to the English understanding of that word because it's such a feeling kind of word. And I don't think we should exclude feelings from that. So the question is just which one leads? It's love that's in action. Would we see your love in that silent film this week, this month, with regularity? Would we see it with the way that you took care of people? What does Jesus tell Peter? when Peter needs desperately to be reinstated. Feed my sheep. If we saw that silent film, how many sheep did you feed this week? That's it. It's about action. The Christian faith is not one about failing to do bad things. It is one that's about, did you love? As James says, love covers a multitude Of sins. You're going to have that sin. I want you to each take a moment to evaluate the way that you've loved or failed to love the people around you this week, including the people you interacted with at work, including the people that you interacted with online, including the telemarketer, including the stranger. Were you patient? Were you kind? Was your love humble? Did it honor other people? Reflect on that. I want you to, to pray. I want you to, I want you to see flashpoints before your eyes of this last week and the ways that you loved or didn't love people. Think about it. This last week, this last month, reflect on it. I'm going to give you a minute. Does anyone feel self-assured right now? If you do, maybe you've kind of missed it. Look at this again. Love is patient. Love is kind, and it's not jealous. Love does not brag, and it is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, unrighteousness but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things endures all things. Love never fails. I'm quite aware of the problems in the world, and they are very serious and certainly dreadful. But how can I hope to wade into them if I don't start with learning how to love like Christ? If I can't even love my spouse and my children 50% of the time, like Jesus, you're going to solve the world's problems? Yeah. Golly. I have to first remove the plank from my own eye. Yeah. That's it. I can't hope to keep removing specks. Become illegitimate surgeons is all we are. We watched a YouTube video. We got our caught in a bear trap, we got two fingers left on our hand, we got an eyeball hanging out, we're gonna walk around offering everybody solutions on how we can fix them up. That's the image. One of the things that I do whenever I read this verse, and I'll usually journal it and I'd encourage you guys to do it too, if you want to feel incredibly convicted about something, Go through and write down, instead of love, replace that with I. And see if you believe it. I am patient. I am kind. I do not boast. I am not this, this, that, and the other. I am this, that, and the other. See if you can believe any single one of those things. And hopefully, if you get it right, you'll realize that the love of Christ needs to do a lot more work in you. And you will get on your knees and you will beg Jesus, Jesus, teach me to love like you love. Because my love is just so small and withered up and pathetic. Help me, God. Help me to love the way that you do. The second point, and it's coming out of chapter 14, is a very simple one. And it reminds me of the first point. It's that gifts are for other people, not you. I know that's hard to believe, but it reminds me of whenever one of my children's birthdays is happening, and we give one of them a gift, and the other one's like, that's mine. (laughs) I'm like, ah, it's not your birthday. It's their birthday. Or if it's their job to give the other one a gift, they're like, I'm going to keep this one. (laughs) Like, I got this for you, but it's a cool toy, so I want it. That's what it's like whenever we don't use our gifts for others. Any spiritual gifts you have, any giftings that you have, are meant to build up the church, not to build up you. Jesus does that, and others do that. Jesus has made the church a symbiotic set of relationships where you're not allowed to provide for yourself. It's that way in the best marriages, by the way, too. Your job is to provide for your spouse. Your spouse's job is to provide for you. If either one of you begins to only provide for yourself or mainly provide for yourself, your marriage will be miserable. That's the way that it works. Same thing in the church. And it sounds like the above point because it's the main thrust of this whole section of Corinthians. Paul is basically saying, and he says so elsewhere, stop being little children intent on providing for yourselves and grow up. Learn to love and to provide for others babies take the food, adults give the food, and they don't eat the food that they're giving away. They've got it for someone else. So the context of the spiritual gifts are actually all about building up the church and not validating us, because the Corinthians were using the spiritual gifts to validate their own spirituality, right? It's not about that. The question that I have to ask myself then is, how do I build up the church? How do I build up this church? This isn't a question for someone who is critically standing at a comfortable distance and critiquing the church, which it's become very in vogue to do. Well, I've got issues with the church. Stand in line. Guess what? If you're in church, you're a part of the church. I've got issues with myself. That's the best thing I can think to say. Don't get me wrong, the church has issues. We're all on the same page. But if I am a part of the church, guess who's got the most control of changing those issues? Me over myself, not me over others. So you can stand at a comfortable distance and critique the church, or you can actually get your hands dirty and build the church. Because it's the one who is building that has a right to critique, not the ones who are not. question of how to build up a church is a question for those striving to build it up, not those who are simply seeking to point out what's wrong with it. I remember uh, I have been renovating our, our, our house. We got this 1960s house that was like all original, 1960s everything, all right? I found a toilet. I took a toilet out of the house, and I looked on the underside of the lid, and it said 1973. The toilet was from 1973, all right? This gives you an idea all original appliances. I mean, it was like a house stuck in time. I probably should have gotten like a museum certificate, certificate, what, certification or something like that, so I could show it as a museum. Like it was it was all original. It's like 80-year-old stuff, okay? So I've been I renovated this and I tore I did way more than I should have. I tore out everything. I tore the walls down. I tore out all the tile. I removed all the fur downs. I pretty much did everything except for destroy the outside of the house. And I did do some of that too. And man, I worked early in the morning and I worked late at night and I worked in the midst of working elsewhere and I did all these different things and I was busting my butt, man. I'm telling you, i have not busting my butt like that. It was a dark eight weeks of my life. I had to wear a respirator most of the time. There's asbestos in that house all over the place. There was just, there's constantly a film of, of particle board, like rotted particle board and just, yes, put yourself in that position. And I was working to build a new place for my family, I really was. And at one point I was like, and I had heaps of Trash being put inside the dumpsters outside. At one point, I'm just sweating. I have my respirator on, and I'm throwing the trash in there, and I come out the street, and these two ladies are walking by. Fitness gals, you might call them. <laughs> call them the fitness sisters, all right? They came by. They're like, oh, are they flipping the house? And I go, uh, I'm, it's my house. I'm just fixing it up, or whatever. Well, hopefully you don't paint it white like everybody else has been doing. I was like, yeah, we are, we are. <laughs> All right, well, just know this, isn't this, and, this. and they, they proceeded to give me a lot of, because I'm sure they were experts in home renovation. Lots of suggestions, lots of do's and don'ts. Yeah. And I just thanked them and said, yeah, you guys have a good day. Thanks, appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's like, unless you're actually in their building. Do you know what it's like to someone who's building? Trust me, I know it's a dump. Okay, I've been in it. I've seen stuff. <laughs> you don't understand the stuff I've seen in there. The stuff I found in the walls, there was a there was a no. No. no, no, no. There was a whole maze where rats had intricately built a tunneling system through the walls of this house, and their feces proved it. Don't worry, it's all It's all been sealed up and sucked out and replaced and everything, right? But listen, it's hard, and I know what's wrong with the house. I know what's wrong with the house. It's that way with the church. I know it's a dump. Don't get me wrong. I know what's wrong with it, but it's my dump. That sounds weird. (laughs) It's my messed up house. It is. And I mean you can say that too. But that's that's what it is. And we get it, we're messed up. But I'm not sitting around thinking about how awful it is all the time. I'm trying to do something. That's what we have to be. Don't sit around looking at it and saying, man, worship was super like low energy today. Clap. <laughs> I'm sitting over there like on the first song, just trying to get the get the claps out there, and you guys are. These are the days of Elijah. I mean, we're talking about Jesus coming back to the earth and redeeming everything, and we can't get a damn clap out of you. I'm sorry. By the way, when Paul talks about prophecy, prophecy is not about telling the future. Prophecy is about God, speaking God's truth into the present. That's the definition of prophecy. I think that's God's truth. That's my prophecy for you. We have to build the church, not critique the church. If you want to critique the church, you're a part of the church. Critique yourself and be that change then. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying stop being infantile. Stop being a little kid. Put your hands into it and work. And Paul even says to eagerly desire these greater gifts so that you can build up the church. Imagine wanting giftings so that you could actually just give it to others. That's what he's hoping will happen. You want the gift of prophecy? Do it so that you can build up the church. You want the gift of tongues? Maybe it's not about your personal relationship with Jesus because that doesn't exist, by the way. We exist as a people of God in relationship with God. That's the whole point. Side note about tongues, Paul puts them as last in the spiritual giftings. By the way, I think they're also great, big fan, speaking in tongues, but they're listed last for a reason. Beware of giftings that make you look good, but don't do much to build up other people. Okay? Beware of that. It's not about that, and that's what the Corinthian church was about. And then this last point is just that God is a God of order and of peace, What's that mean for when we gather? Because we're kind of an artsy, untraditional, postmodernish church, I would say, which plays great in Denton. But it would be good to think of how his, his words to the Corinthian church here might challenge the way that we gather. Because maybe we should have a little bit more awareness during communion. Maybe we should be careful about the level of Um, comfortability that we feel in here. And I don't mean that because we're supposed to be all tight, you know, and that kind of stuff. I just mean you stand before the throne of God, maybe act like that and think that way, and when we take communion, don't have side conversations with one another because you're eating and drinking judgment on yourselves, which is what Paul says, and realize that our God is an all-consuming fire, and yes, he is your friend, But he's also Yahweh, the same God that struck a dude dead for touching the Ark of the Covenant. That God is not different than Jesus. Our God cares about the way that we present ourselves and way we interact with one another. And he says there should be order within our church there. He says everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. What's fitting worshiping God of the cosmos? What is fitting in the way that we pray? When we pray, do you get on your phone? If you hear the message being spoken, if you hear the word of God being spoken, do you ignore it or whisper in the ear of someone next to you? Pay close attention to these things. Everything should be done in an orderly way. We can have lots of fun and laugh and play, and we do. And we can can do this, but we should think about the way that this word from Paul challenges our church the word of God is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword it's supposed to speak to us again remember if you're reading scripture and not being challenged it's not that you've got it together you're in more danger than ever because you've missed the point you can't read scripture and not be challenged without just reading it with blinders on and it's supposed to speak to us and call us back into real communion with Christ so we should, become beware, we should be, weary, be weary of becoming lax and so informal that the word of God becomes humdrum, that prayer becomes a time to check out, that worship becomes a formality and communion a time filler. We should be sober and joyful and deeply aware of the abiding presence of God as we gather together. I know it doesn't feel that way, but don't judge by appearances. This doesn't look very impressive. But the Spirit of God is here with us. He is paying attention. He does see us. He sees you. When you show up, build. Be orderly. Love God's people. Love others the way Jesus loves you. I want to leave with something as just a thought, uh, since this is my last sermon for a while at least. Maybe it's not, I don't know. We don't know. Denton does a better job than most churches of asking other people to come preach. Uh, and I like that about us. It's good. Um, I hope you'll afford me the opportunity to leave you with some things. And I, I mean, obviously, I would hope that you remember these things, but as I've spent a year with you in this church, but over five years in Denton, just ministering to the community. Um, I want to encourage you guys with three verses and three things, and it's very much tailored to this church, and I hope you will remember them and call each other to to these things. It's kind of like a a final sermon after the sermon, all right? This is the after-sermon party, okay? The first one is in 1 Corinthians 1.10. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters... In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And my advice is to this church specifically, love one another too much to let disagreements divide you. Love one another too much to let disagreements divide you. If you're not friends, close friends, with people who think, very differently than you, about politics, about social justice, about race, about everything, then your love is small. Love people who you think think stupid things and love them and don't make the thing the source of the relationship. Make Jesus the source of the relationship. Number two, it's in Colossians 2, 6 through 8. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. And my thought is just to be weary of the influence of our culture's way of thinking. If you can't tie it directly to Jesus, it is from the enemy. It is a binary system of truth and lies. If you can't tie it to Christ, it is from the enemy. Be weary of our culture's influence. Our culture tells you all kinds of things. And if you can't match it up squarely With the life and the words of Christ, do not do it. Do not believe it. Do not act on it. Do not go beyond what is written, as the scripture itself says. And finally, staying true to the 1 Corinthians theme. 1 Corinthians 8.1 says we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up and love builds up. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And my last bit of advice is to not intellectualize everything. You have to get to the heart of the issues like Jesus did. The mind is important, but the heart is at the very center of of what God wants for us. Jesus spoke to the heart. He was after our hearts. The mind actually follows the heart and not the other way around, even though our Western culture has said otherwise. So I'm going to repeat those three things, and then I'm going to say a prayer. Love one another too much to let disagreements divide you. Be weary of our culture's way of thinking. Everything needs to come from Christ. Third, don't intellectualize everything. Get to the heart of the issue. Pay attention to your hearts. I have a feeling that if we do these things, this church will continue in this path of changing, becoming more mature, making our worship maybe a little bit more... mm, Making our interactions with one another a little bit less tight, and a little bit more open and loving and free. Yeah. And I pray that for this church. I just want to say thank you too. I, I, I can't say thank you enough for the way that you guys have welcomed my family and I and that you've loved us uh, and for just the fact that you've allowed us to minister and to serve and uh, that you've served us in so many different ways too. Um, some of you might be glad to get rid of me. But, I'm going to be around, because <laughs> I love you guys too much. I really am uh, so thankful uh, to, to have gotten to, to be here as a part of this community, and I appreciate you guys a ton. I'm going to say a prayer for us. And then Joshua, you can come up, or as, you, as I call him, Joshua. God, thank you so much uh, for this church. Thank you for uh, just the way that you've moved in it so powerfully since its inception. God, I pray that you would help us to be a church that is uh, moved powerfully by your spirit. God, that we become a unified and loving church, one where we have only builders, Father. I pray that you would help us to be a community that is full of the heart of Jesus, that we would stick so closely behind Jesus that we would just be covered in his dust, Father. That the gospel would be what is the main thrust and the only thrust of our lives and our words and our actions, God help us to love the way that Paul talks about love. Help our church to be marked by it, and I pray that it would just take over the Denton community, showing them your goodness, Father. May Jesus dwell in this church, and may our may our church be one of your spirit. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week, and you can get more information about that at
0: DentonNorthChurch.com.